You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to the conservative conscience on this fine first day of August. And yes, this is Daniel Horowitz, who is as feisty as my Twitter account has made me out to be. Um, I'm feeling pretty, uh, pretty pumped and fired up today about a lot of issues. It's it's amazing how you know August traditionally when you know since I've started in this business it was always the um, just the lightest month across the board policy political news and this week just turned out to be a real doozy. Uh, part of it is because every literally every thirty minutes the courts give the Democrats like a civilization win on something. And I just can't even address it quickly enough. So I could just have shows from now until the end of the year just on the crazy courts. But it's only going to be a part of today's show. You know, today's the title of today's show is a little bit misleading, but but I'm going to use it anyway. That putting Trump before the Trump agenda hurts both, hurts both Trump and the Trump agenda. Now, it's a little bit misleading because when I say putting Trump before Trump agenda, you think, oh, I'm putting, you know, defending him. But I'm not really referring to people that don't defend him or defend him. I'm referring to our movement that will not focus on the important issues of the day, the important leverage points of the day that not only matter to the future of our republic, but actually will also determine the outcome of the election, which is what the whole movement cares about. It's always the next election, electing more Republicans. Okay, well, this is the only way to save it because we're, we're currently losing it despite the you know head-in-the-sand mentality from some of our people. But this is a running thesis we've had since Trump's presidency began. Those of you who know me even for a little bit some of the newer listeners and certainly the older ones understand that the breadth and depth of the work that we cover on this show, the policy issues, the philosophy, the constitution, history, the courts, um, immigration, healthcare, you name it, stands on its own merits. Whether you agree with me or disagree with me, it's much greater than being reduced to whether you're you're a pro or anti-Trump or do you like what Trump's doing or Trump this or Trump that. Almost everyone else in this movement, my colleagues, Trump's the biggest thing in their lives. Most of the time it's just whatever Trump does or says or slow you know is loosely surrounding him, they just have to, you know, shill for or get involved in the soap opera of it, or the minority that are never Trumpers and they're into that stuff. So they're they're the other way around. And you know, here we've we've just been relentless Relentlessly consistent, focused on an agenda, recognizing that Trump has faults, but at the same time, he actually is providing us a lot of opportunities on a number of issues where if we had a movement leading, the president, because he does, to his credit, care about what the conservative movement thinks of him, if conservative media would actually get on his case in a, in a 
you know, a tough love way and say, hey, Mr. President, follow your heart. Don't follow the swamp. Your instincts are right here. Don't contradict yourself. You know, he, there, there's a number of issues, a couple prominent issues where he's notoriously not conservative on. But there's a number of issues where he's actually more open to our position than not just Democrats, but even past Republican presidents, and even speaks about it. But then often he'll just undermine it 30 seconds later because Newton's laws of political motion are as such that the president will always, like anyone else, gravitate to the sun, the strongest gravitational pull in D.C., and that ain't us because there's too few of us making those calls. So you got the Koch brothers, which he'll criticize, but then install their personnel in his White House and then implement some of their policies, and but then complain about them. We have Trump complain about these budget bills and getting uh, taken to the cleaners on his immigration agenda, complain about the courts, but then do nothing about it and actually make it worse. And no one's... No one's pushing it. No one's doing anything. We have such a, a lost opportunity. I almost wish Trump turned, would have turned out to be more on the worse end of my fears. Then at least I'd be at peace. Like, yeah, there's nothing we can do. But it's so sad. There's so much we could do. There's so much he'd be willing to implement if we only backed him and prodded him away from the Bad figures. And through that prism, I want to talk about today the three important issues, I think, of the moment. The budget battle, which is mainly about immigration or should be. The courts. And jailbreak legislation that's being pushed again. And they all tie together. Liberal judges. Sovereignty, security, crime, drugs, the drug crisis, and open borders. And then the national security angle of drugs, which you know, I want to talk about maybe, maybe next week, maybe later this week, how it is increasingly the tip of the spear of terror financing. And how if we got that right, if we got immigration right, and we got terror financing right, we actually wouldn't need to chase our tails and spend trillions of dollars in lives in the Middle East. So these issues just all tie together into one big safety and security agenda, which would not only be vital to galvanizing a conservative base and also reigniting many of the blue-collar Trump voters that we're going to lose, that were only ignited in, in 2016 – but also to get back some of the suburban, um, more white-collar, um, more educated voters that were needlessly bleeding, but could totally be won back on this agenda. Now, there's, there's a lot to get to today. Um, there's a lot going on. Just, you know, first off, just an update in the Senate. So the Senate's going to run out of town soon. They're, they're just, you know, spending like drunken sailors. So they passed this minibus bill today. Now this minibus bill is um you know it's a real doozy. It has four spending bills pushed together, codifies the omnibus spending levels. In addition to that, 
It actually increases spending. And only six Republicans voted against it. I believe it's Cruz, Lee Paul, Ron John. Um, forgetting who the other two were now. Um, ben Sass was five. And, uh, you know, the sixth one will come to me. You know, this is why you should never uh, make lists. <laughs> Rick Perry learned about that. You make lists on air or on TV, you, you wind up forgetting the names. But um, six of them, and I can tell you, number six wasn't Tim Scott, the racial pander, and that's what he is. Um, I'll get to that in a minute when we talk about criminal justice reform. Now, this bill is not going to become law. Like, none of the individual appropriation bills will become law. But they'll serve as the basis for the ultimate budget cave in September, LECR, and then eventually the omnibus within the months later. Now, look, I'm not stupid enough to think we could ever marshal a spending fight on the actual spending and debt. God forbid should we even care about that. And, you know, I've talked about the importance of that, but I know there's no just political way of even getting that done now. So I'm saying on the budget, we should primarily at least make it about the emergency of immigration, the courts, particularly with immigration, and have riders, demand riders on the border wall, ICE um, agents, you know, more ICE agents, kicking the courts out of immigration, sanctuary cities, getting rid of the asylum UAC stuff, um, and then an entire agenda on criminal aliens – Interior, comprehensive interior enforcement, drugs, and MS-13. You know, Rush was on – Rush. Uh, Trump was on Rush Limbaugh's show today. He called in uh, honoring him in his 30th anniversary show. And, um, you know, you could hear it in Trump's voice. He genuinely understands what we're saying here, that, dude, you're not going to fight the next time. This is your sixth capitulation. You're never going to get 60 votes. Your only leverage is to threaten a veto over the budget bill and use your bully pulpit relentlessly to drive the narrative over the subject matter that we want it to be about. But he said, well, but you know, people are telling me I can't do it, this, that. And it's true. That's exactly what's happening. I think you know that was a moment of candor uh, that you should take face value. I don't think there's anything more behind it. That's exactly what's happening. All the people in the stupid... Office of Legal Counsel, Legislative um, Affairs, some of the cabinet members, Kevin McCarthy, Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell, but particularly Kevin McCarthy, who has unfortunately close relationship. And all of this is held together by the glue of Jared freaking Kushner. And they're pushing him there. Let me ask you, do we have a conservative movement Every night, getting up there on Fox. I don't have access to it. They won't have me on. But all the people that have that megaphone making this case. Buttressing the president. No. So don't be surprised when he caves for the sixth time. He's not going to be more religious about this than conservatives are. And if we don't care, he's not going to care. And he's just going to be delivered into the gravitational force of the bad guys, the very people we're supposed to defeat. And by the way, you know, I, I just got to get this off my chest. I've heard this too much, and this is part of my whole thesis with 
we're getting the stinger of Trump's dominance of the party, but not the honey from it. So, you know, basically, whether it's endorsement of candidates, whether it's personnel applications to work in the administration, all the people who ever criticized Trump from the right, let's say, roughly speaking, just as a guidepost, we're speaking of you know Cruz supporters in the primary that are totally down for the supposed MAGA agenda, the Trump agenda itself. Their only concern with him was that they didn't think he himself was down for it and thought Cruz was a better candidate. You know, probably among our audience, we have different groups among that. That that ship has sailed. It is what it is. Trump is the president. We have these opportunities. Let's go and seize them. But these people are all being boxed out. I can't tell you how many people I know. I just spoke to one today. That would be tremendous assets to, again, places like OLC and Legislative Affairs, Domestic Policy Council um, at the White House. But they're being nixed because they attack Trump from the right. Okay, so then you'd say to yourself, all right, well, he's only appointing Trump loyalists, right? So certainly the never-Trumpers that attacked him from the left, your Jeb Rubio type of dudes, they certainly would be persona non grata, right? No. Those guys are, in fact, not only in the administration, they're in the administration making the policy decisions, pushing the president into jailbreak legislation, and then having the power to nix the um, applications of the most qualified, most patriotic conservatives committed to at least the agenda that Trump campaigned on. That's what's so maddening because, again, we don't have a movement making hay of this and pressuring the president on this. So naturally, the swamp's going to win. Okay? You know, look, I-, I could sit here from now until tomorrow and criticize the president himself for being so erratic and going back and forth. It is what it is. We, I mean, that's not going to change on its own. But the problem is the conservative movement is erratic and aimless. Th- th- I'm not doing this to cover for Trump. Um, as you all know, in the piece I just put out that I'm going to link to in show notes – on Trump uh, getting sucked into jailbreak, I just take a hatchet to Jared Kushner. Believe me, it's it's a pretty a dumb political move from my part because um, I, I write very effective pieces on a number of issues where Trump clearly agrees with me on on immigration. The White House has even put them up on their blog from time to time. So uh, the worst move of, of on my end would be to criticize his own son-in-law. I mean, you know, he runs the ro- r- rules the roost there, but I don't care. I'm never going to sugarcoat the truth. You know that. Whether you agree or disagree with my assessment, I'm just one man. But what you do know is that I'm not going to sugarcoat the truth for political reasons. I'm going to call it like I see it. And usually it's from a long train of observations, not just a one-off. So the problem here is – Trump Trump and never Trumper. So Trump, both Trump supporters and his detractors could run off right off into the sunset tomorrow and it won't make a difference. Won't make a it won't make a difference. Trump's not gonna be president forever. Do you, do you know what is going on indefinitely forever unless we intervene and change that? Is a strategy to actually implement what we supposedly believe in and actually do it. 
and not be happy with the soft bigotry of low expectations. Well, at least we got this, or at least the Democrats aren't in there. When's the actual fight? When? When are we going to actually fight for what we believe in? You're not going to get more power than you have now. right? This is the equivalent of what Obama had in 2009, 2010. It's not going to get better than that. Traditionally, even if you do a good job, you know the pendulum swings back. And, and the incumbent president winds up losing one or both houses of Congress. This is when to do it. And this is when to affect the outcome of the election. We're going to have the same vanity movement no matter who's in charge of the party because we have a vanity movement. And that's why I'm more focused not on Trump but on the movement because that's really where the source of the problem is. In fact, Trump, despite his flaws, he'd be more open to most of what we want to do. And other things, I think we could browbeat him into doing it if we're more forceful about it. But we don't. But what's so frustrating is you know, I've been criticizing the president for months for going back on his promise. Look, I don't know if he's been seeing some of my articles, but he's actually more vocal about trying to pick a fight than I thought he'd be. We should all be behind him. Where is the movement? Where are these big talk shows? This is it. So if we had a sane movement, we'd be immediately calling on the president to do the following. There's one... If you want to affect the outcome of the elections, there's one aspect of Trump's presidency that has always given him universal accolades, even among a lot of people in the media, and it immediately shot up his poll numbers. And that is any time he looked presidential and gave an official public address that was very well watched and televised, mainly you know, the uh, joint um, sessions of Congress where he addressed uh, – in. You know, either a State of Union address or the one at the beginning of his presidency, a quasi State of the Union address. You know, and, and it's not like he was PC. He, he pretty much promoted his agenda. Some of it's a little bit more progressive populist than we conservatives like, but the majority of it I agreed with, and it was good stuff on immigration. I mean, let, let, let's do it, Mr. President. Give a televised address. Ask Paul Ryan to invite you to give. Um, I think this would be powerful to actually do it in middle of August or maybe towards the end of August, closer to September budget fight, but still have the dramatic effect of calling members back to listen to it and get up there and give the whole case with open borders and the drugs and the gangs and the criminal aliens, the problems with the courts. And demand legislation in the budget to deal with it. Say a budget is a reflection of our values and priorities. This is what we need to fund. This is what we shouldn't fund. I'm open to negotiating on some points. But here are my red lines. And you would see on display in front of the American people, the Democrats that don't boycott it, the ones that are, on, that are still there, sitting on their hands every time he praises ICE and law enforcement and apprehension of gangs and drugs. That is the surest way to focus the fight and then never turn back. Fight now. Everyone likes hashtags. How about hashtag fight now? Not after the election, which means never. Now. All I could do is what one man could do on this issue, but that's that's the budget. That's the budget. 
there's there's tons of issues I don't even know how to have time to get to, but I'm I'm just feeling really good today because I'm telling you, I got a good night's sleep last night on my purple mattress. And by the way, I'm getting my purple pillow too, and you can as well. You go to purple.com and issue promo code Daniel, you could get a free purple pillow with the purchase of the best, most comfortable, most secure mattress in America. These mattresses feel different than anything you've ever felt before. The materials are unique because they're both firm and soft at the same time. And it's also, it's, I mean, it's, you feel the support, but it's, it's very breathable. It's cool, especially in the summertime. Good stuff there, I'm telling you. It, it, it ends up giving you this like a zero-gravity-like feel. And the thing about that is it works in every sleeping position. I usually like to sleep on my left side, but every once in a while I switch off. So I'm telling you guys, guaranteed a 100-night risk-free trial if you don't like it. Um, if, if you don't see it the way I see it, you could return it the Shipping both directions is free. The return is free. Um, but if you decide to keep it, as I think you would, it's backed up by a 10-year warranty. Go to purple.com. Issue promo code Daniel. Again, get your free gift. The best, most secure good night's sleep so you could help join me in having a productive day and fighting for liberty. And this fight for liberty, I, I, I can't ignore doing another show in part on the courts. Literally every time I get off the air with you, every time the ink dries on one article decrying three insane court decisions, there's more. I, I, I'll i be honest with you. We need to aggregate something at Conservative Review to keep track of it. I, I can't even keep track of all of them. There are four more at the top of my mind. You know, it just came in. One of them is that the Ninth Circuit upheld the, the, one of the California judges, as we knew, that, nope, sanctuary cities, states now have an unalienable right. States have rights, you know, in their view, not powers, um, to federal funding. You can't cut off funding to those that um, violate federal immigration law. I'm assuming they'd say you can't cut off federal law enforcement grants to, uh, you know, states that don't want to deploy their National Guard u- units at the president's uh, order. But that's what it is. So we have that. So this is another example of what I'm telling you, that you need the budget fight to get our policy riders in it against the courts. Because if you don't handle the courts, it's not just that, oh, we're going through the best period of Republican control and not getting anything. We're just retaining the status quo. We're, we're going backwards because we can't even get what the Trump administration is trying to do administratively unless we get rid of the courts. There's something else going on here. Something else going on here. The truth is there is another option without having to pass a particular legislative judicial reform, jurisdiction stripping, jurisdiction limitation bill. And that's simply recognizing the power of the courts and recognizing your power and using it. You know, a lot of people ask me, Daniel, what should we do about the courts? And at some point, I'm not sure what to say. It's like if a hundred pound woman or, you know, whatever, a kid or anyone or, you know, goes up to a 250 pound professional boxer 
and says, I'm going to beat you up. So do you ask the question, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Oh, my God, uh, help us. What if Someone's got to help. We need a hero to come in, Deix Machina, and then save me. Who's going to save me? Could someone please save me? I mean, if you're having problems from that person, then you it's, it's of your own doing. You're a prisoner of your own restraint and constraints. You're a prisoner in your, of your own mind. They don't have any power over you. You're just gratuitously giving them that power. It's plain and simple. And that's what's happening with the courts. And I want to explain it through the prism of the article I have out today um, on – where is this? I'm going to try to get it for show notes here so I don't forget – on this 3D gun printing. I don't want to get too much into the policy and the politics of it. A lot of people have said plenty of things on it. You can see elsewhere. I want to focus more on the legal judicial aspect of it. Um, you know, so obviously this has been around for a while, the notion that, you know, with 3D printers, you could make blueprints for anything. Uh, like, a, you know, like I say in the piece, you could make a blueprint for 3D um, prints of uh, – um, medical, surgical equipment to do abortions with. I mean, you could, you could do anything theoretically, practically, you know, depending on what you're trying to do. The technology might not be there yet. Um, but either way, if you do it, well, you know, it would be unlawful to, you know, if that gun works as a real gun, to hold it without registering it. So the laws are already on the books. Um, so as, as you well know by now, Eight states' attorney generals plus um, the D.C. attorney general, the municipality government of, of D.C., wanted to place an injunction on this guy Cody Wilson and some of the organizations that are backing him, Second Amendment groups, this uh, libertarian guy um, from Defense Distributed, this is his company, where he, he was going to upload on his website – and he actually wound up doing it for a few hours, and the truth is it's already out there, and most of this stuff has been out there for a few years. So upload these CAD files, just you know, not, not upload guns. You can't upload a gun, obviously. You can't transfer a gun. You can't sell it. He's not selling a gun. It's not a gun. It's information. It's, it's, a, it's a piece of paper. Um, you, could, you could actually – the actual information you could transmit with a two-dimensional, two-dimensional printer. Uh, not a three-dimensional printer, so there's nothing to it. It's literally just First Amendment speech at its most basic form. And, you know, they first went to a New Jersey state judge, and they ruled in favor of of these uh, plaintiffs that should never get standing for this. And but But at least they only applied it to New Jersey, right? So I guess in this case what it meant is that Cody Wilson would commit to blocking New Jersey IP addresses from having access to it. Okay. But they were denied the nationwide temporary restraining order. So they went to a federal district judge in Washington State, Western District of Washington, Seattle. And this dude, Robert Lasnick, he's a Democrat appointee. He issued a nationwide tro. Against a CAD file. I mean, unbelievable. So a nationwide injunction outside of his jurisdiction. So we've seen this growing thing. 
there's no First Amendment. You're not allowed to issue something I don't like. You're, you're not allowed to distribute a file I don't like. That's not national security. It's not, you know, like a, um, you know, our nuclear triad blueprints that he got a hold of that is against federal law. There's nothing there. And unprecedentedly, something that is already in the public domain since 2013. Right in 2013 is when this started. The Obama administration wanted to regulate it. He took them to court the other way around, and there was some sort of a settlement. And the Trump administration just, um, you know, reversed it. Another case of the Obama administration. So, so look, I mean. Congress has given a lot of authority to the State Department under the Arms Export Control Act and the International Traffic and Arms Regulations um, over to, to regulate the distribution of you know material and information concerning you know firearms. Now it's mainly for exporting, you know, um, not internal use. But you know, you, l- let's just say that let's just say for argument's sake that there's some avenue for them to regulate it in this case. But certainly they don't have to do it. And it was an elected policy by Obama, and Trump once again elects not to do it. So once again, a court is mandating that you must do it. So forget about the Second Amendment here. Um, that gets very complicated. You know what's protected, what type of cases, but this is straight up First Amendment. In this case, literally, I mean, the case I give is: imagine if a conservative judge that doesn't like abortion puts an injunction on the blueprints of a file to print um, surgical equipment to perform an abortion. There's nothing to do with an abortion. It's information. You can't, whether you like it or not, you can't stop that. But we, we have no First Amendment. Now, what's interesting is that more than any other case, this has kind of spawned I'm seeing the reaction from the thumb suckers and the legal eagles who are mainly libertarian or libertarian leading. You know, I don't see too many of the grassroots, but they seem to control 90% of the right leaning legal profession. So they don't give a darn when the courts destroy election law, immigration, sovereignty, security, cr- criminal statutes, um, you know, marriage, religious liberty, abortion, you name it. They're fine with that. Somehow they think we could use the courts to protect individual and economic liberties for their purposes. What they don't realize is your day is coming too. And as we warned about in our earlier show, the courts are venturing into those issues. Right? Indeed, I just saw another case. Um, Gosh, I can't remember where this is. I said I had four cases to talk about. I think there's a fifth. Um, Another economic issue. Yes, that's what it was. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico storm evacuees. They're enjoining FEMA allowed to, you know, paid for the hotels for some people from Puerto Rico to stay here for Hurricane Maria, and their time is up, and they sued them in court for not letting them stay longer. When there's no such law, I mean, you, I don't know so much the policy behind it or not, but that's a political question, and they enjoined it. So they're, they're forcing spending. They control the purse strings too now, the courts. So, you know, my, my message to the libertarians is you're going to be made to care about judicial supremacy. And indeed, a lot of them were complaining about this. Now, my concern is their reaction is going to be, okay, let's appeal. But here's the deal. First, you have to go through 
the hearing on the merits of this case on, on, uh, for the district judge is not even for, for a little while. Then you have to go to the Ninth Circuit. And then it, it, who says the Supreme Court's going to grant cert? They usually don't the first time around when there's no circuit split. Right? So here's the remedy I want to talk about. And I want to talk about in the next um, the next um, uh, some some of the other cases we're gonna we're we're gonna go over, and it's a very novel solution. It's as novel as the two hundred fifty pound boxer when the hundred pound woman says, "Um, "If you don't give me a hundred dollars, I'm gonna beat you up." It's as novel as not giving the hundred dollars. I know it sounds like really bold, but you don't give the $100. I've said this a lot, but to newer listeners, I, um, you know, it's certainly worth hearing. And I think to everyone, it's, I think this is to me the quintessential example, the best real-life example of what I was talking about. The difference between when a court is exercising broadly val- valid judicial powers versus when they're mandating executive or legislative powers they don't have. I'm not just talking about the courts not even having jurisdiction, which they don't have here. Oh, that's that's another thing, by the way, I forgot to mention. Explicitly in statute, there is no jurisdiction. You know, we often say, and, and this gets back to my whole thing, even if you pass jurisdiction stripping laws, some of them are on the books. We noted several cases with immigration on temporary protected status, on denial of visas. They have no jurisdiction at all, even habeas corpus, even the Supreme Court, yet they just ignore it and no one asserts it and no one pushes back against them. They did it here too because just real technically here, they weren't technically the order. I mean practically it winds up forcing the guy to cease and desist from posting the blueprints on the website, which he wound up doing. He – Website went dark, but technically what it does is it orders the State Department to vitiate the settlement and to begin regulating him. Right, That's what they're asking the executive branch under the State Department to do. The determination of whether to regulate under the AECA or the um, you know, the the international traffic and arms regulations is not that determination is not subject to judicial review. So they don't have jurisdiction over it. So that's number one. Number two, obviously on the merits, literally a raping of the First Amendment. But what I'm saying is – so it's not just that it's a lawless opinion, doesn't have jurisdiction, but there's something more to it than that. There's a difference between when, in a, when a court grants relief to an individual plaintiff from action taken against them by the executive branch, meaning they put a negative on the positive of the executive branch in, in their by exercising their legitimate powers to give relief to an individual plaintiff versus when they place a positive on a negative of the other branches of government and demand that they cough up actions that are broadly consequential, broadly political, not just to one even one plaintiff, even to one plaintiff that would be invalid. The court might not be wrong. Sometimes they are wrong depending on the case, whatever the opinion is at hand, what they're saying. But they don't have the power to effectuate that. They have to rely on the other branches to do that. This is where this comes in. 
I always go back to my case of um, executions or imprisonment. Let's say the executive branch, right, law enforcement, whether it's a, you know state law enforcement for a state criminal law, uh, federal law, um, law enforcement for a federal criminal statute, um, they arrest a guy to imprison him or want to execute a guy in a capital case. The guy's like, no, no, you're wrong, and he petitions the courts, and the court sides with him and gives him relief and stays in execution, vitiates his sentence or whatever. Even in cases – so everyone's like, Daniel, do you think we should disobey the courts? My answer to that is the courts are the ones disobeying the Constitution, as Robert Bork said. And, and to, to answer that quite bluntly, yes, I think it has come to that. But what I'm trying to tell you is you don't even need to do that in many of these cases, and this being one of those examples. And that is, I'm not saying in a case like that where they put a negative on the positive action of an executive branch. You want to kill the guy, take away a liberty, especially the most immutable liberty, you you can't bring him back alive. Even in the most BS case, which a lot of them are recently, them staying executions, when it's total, totally on BS grounds, I'm not going to suggest, at least at this stage in our republic, that you go ahead and do it anyway. You actively go and – especially in, you know, it's individualized to that person. It's – you're taking a positive against the negative rights of the guy, even though you might feel you have a right to do it. Right, you know, obviously, you could take away life, liberty, and property with due process under the right circumstances, right? For for criminals, um, but I wouldn't suggest that when he that that the court effectuated a valid exercise in the abstract of a judicial power, case and controversies, withstanding, even though you disagree with the opinion and the opinion was totally bogus. In this case, it's the exact opposite. They're demanding, you State Department, you go and regulate him. Hey, actually, you buddy, Laskin, you do it. Oh, whoops, you don't have the power to do it. See what I mean? You can't demand, but but it's even worse than that. I say this a lot with election law. Oh, you must hire a clerk. You, you have to have five days of early vote, five weeks of early voting. Well, but... What do you mean? So I have to now hire clerks in the executive branch and get appropriations from the legislature to hire people to come in five Sundays before an election? No, I'm not. I'm not doing that. That's not disobeying a court. If you think that's the case, you don't understand separation of powers. This happens all the time between the executive and legislative branches. Certainly on foreign commerce, foreign affairs, war powers, um, treaties, trade deals. Where they have concurrent jurisdiction from different angles. The president has his angle, but Congress has the power to legislate in the power of the purse, and they could they could undermine each other. You could circumvent that. That's the difference between judicial review and judicial supremacy. And I wanna just flag for you guys. Um, you know, I don't have time to get into I'm not gonna repeat the entire lecture I gave on this, but if you wanna look for the just the broader um foundation on this episodes 248 and 249 if you go back um to omni the westwood one podcast website or anywhere else you'll find it 
iTunes, you just go back in chronological order, 248, 249, I explain this whole, you know, who has the final say, what the founders meant with concurrent jurisdiction of the Constitution, the difference between judicial review, judicial supremacy. But this is the point. Um, okay, you gave an opinion, but that's not a valid exercise of power. You might think you're right in your opinion, but you know, ultimately you need the executive branch to effectuate it. But this case is even worse because you're taking punitive action against the guy for his First Amendment rights. It's not just like, okay, you know, like the, the courts say something bogus, uh, like something stupid. It's not against the Constitution, but it's like, oh, you have to have five days of early voting, five weeks of early voting. Okay, so I certainly don't have to do it. Here, it's worse than that. You mustn't do it. How could so, – so here's what happens. A court could say Cody Wilson – Cease and desist from uploading the CAD files. So this is not even a case of the executive branch not listening. What if Cody himself didn't listen? Not another branch of government didn't listen to the courts, but we're talking about a private citizen. Apply this to wherever you want. Apply it to a county clerk be, um, being asked to issue a gay marriage license. Apply it to a state – uh, school superintendent being forced to allow a um, a guy into the girl's bathroom. The guy says no, right? Not the government, but the guy, the the private citizen. So, let's say that judge wants to hold him in contempt and issue a bench warrant. Who serves that warrant? Not the, the there's no judicial law enforcement. It's the executive branch on a state level. It's the state troopers on a federal level. It's the U.S. Marshals under DOJ, which today is under Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who works for Donald Trump, the ultimate chief executive officer of the executive branch of government. So they have an obligation. What you're asking me to regulate this guy, and if he doesn't listen, I have to go and um, send out the marshals and violate the First Amendment that I know to be true? The same rationale that gives the courts the power to render an opinion to a plaintiff to give relief in a case where he's being hurt by a statute that they believe is unconstitutional, by a factor of 10,000 gives the executive branch the power and indeed requires him to only use his positive powers in concert with the Constitution and not use it in conjunction with an unconstitutional court ruling. This was Abraham Lincoln's point in Dred Scott. Right? You, you could gum up the works. It's not, it's not called not listening. Not listening was what Andrew Jackson wants to you know, rip up the Cherokee uh, Indians, <laughs> get rid of them. <coughs> They get uh, relief from a court. He says, no, I'm doing it anyway. Right, that's not listening to a court. <clears throat> In this case, it has nothing to do with not listening. It's gumming up the works, but you're right to do it. But I'm saying it's not just that you're right. Sometimes you could be right in the case of them putting a negative on your positive too. But I'm saying it's, it's stronger than that. You're validly exercising your power. You know, the the... the the president has the power to um, – to, he is the commander-in-chief, period. Right? He could um, control our troop movements. But what if Congress 
just fails to supply the funding for our troops in Afghanistan. Let's say they would do that. Is Congress violating the Constitution and engaging in civil disobedience against the president's war powers? No. They have concurrent jurisdiction in different ways. Each branch could undermine each other. And ultimately, the people have to decide. You wind up having a kind of a dragged out, protracted political fight, and you see who gives in. This happens all the time, but somehow the courts are like, oh, no, the courts. Eh, uh. No, it doesn't work that way. Even if you agree with judicial review, that's judicial supremacy. They don't have the final say to broadly apply, and especially, you know, you must do this. I mean, it, it's, just, it's just nuts. This is what our movement should be doing. This is what the libertarian thumbsuckers should be talking about, but they're not. They're going to obsequiously listen to it, and Cody followed it. See, the way to undermine a court ruling is the executive branch just says they announce preemptively we will not enforce this. So it's kind of a wink and a nod to people to do what they want if they know they're not going to be punished. And then again, to put an exclamation mark on it, to bring in the third branch of government, Congress could come in and defund it and prohibit, downright prohibit funding to send out the marshals. Is that disobeying a court? No. I mean, a court can't mandate funding, although they're doing it all the time now and we're listening. But again, they can mandate it as much as a 100-pound woman could demand that a 250-pound boxer gives her $100. Um, you could demand it all you want. And this is exactly what Hamilton wrote in the very, very famous uh, Federalist 72, 78 essay uh, defending judicial review and explaining why, contrary to Judge Robert Yates's uh, concern in the anti-federalist papers, that it will transmogrify to – um, judicial supremacy is saying, look, you know, ultimately, what, what's what's the language here? Let me just uh, get the language right here. Um, he said, you know, when, when we say the judiciary has, quote, neither force nor will, but merely judgment, because it must ultimately depend upon the aid of the executive arm, even for the efficacy of its judgments. The aid of their arm. Now, look, all things equal. You're going to defer in certain cases that are very individualized, very grave. Certain cases, um, you might defer. You know, when you're like, "Wow, that has a that's you're right. You, you really read the Constitution." But when you know a hundred percent, which the entire libertarian conservative movement saying there's not a shred of legitimacy on five different fronts: on jurisdiction, on nationwide injunction, on the merits, the First Amendment is a travesty. How could you then turn back and say? But we must listen to it. Uh, let's just appeal. I mean, look, I have no doubt, especially with Kavanaugh on the court, if it eventually got to the Supreme Court after who knows how long you'd get relief. But like we're seeing on 50 million other cases, they'll just come back with 50 other angles to hit at it and keep enjoining it, and the clock starts over again. At some point, you got to pick this fight. There's no shortcut around it. You know, some are hoping that we won't just hear – have the Supreme Court finally hear the merits of this uh, like 3D case, but to use this, they'll actually hear the argument on the nationwide injunction power of a district judge. Th- yes, that would be significant. By the way, I can't guarantee we'd win that. I know how Clarence Thomas feels. I, do, I don't have confidence in any of the other ones. Not to say that I downright have reason to believe they're bad, although Roberts I'm pretty sure would be bad on this. Um, I've advised certain uh, Senate offices to ask Kavanaugh his, his view on this. 
Um, probably he'll probably evade it, but whatever. But I'd be actually be surprised if we, if we have five votes. But let's say we have five votes. You know, it, they're not going to stop. When you give them, they have control of the legal profession. They have control over the litigators, the at-bats at the courts, the litigation, the lower courts, the forum shopping. When they have a first and goal with as many tries, not four downs, but as many tries as they want, you can never win that game. So even if we get such a ruling, they're just going to find ways to gather together class certification and have class action lawsuits. They'll use whatever is at their disposal. And they're already doing this very – You know, some issues might be hard for them to you know, fit the statute, not that they follow statute anyway. I mean that's the thing. They don't follow jurisdiction stripping statutes. But the point is the Bill of Rights cannot afford death by a thousand form shopped lawsuits. Okay? We can't afford to wait around for this. There's nothing you can do. Everyone's like, but what if the courts don't listen to that? Then what are you going to You're right. There's nothing you can do. If if your attitude is that not just the Supreme Court, but even a district court, that anything they say or do or flatulate is the final uh, you know, law of the land. And you must obey it, and not only that, even in a case of positive executive powers, you must actively effectuate that opinion with unconstitutional executive you know, actions, then I got nothing for you. I don't know what to tell you. If the 215-pound boxer is saying, look, can you call 911? This woman's threatening me. I mean, dude, if you're doing that, then like, I can't help you. I can't help you. We're done as a republic. Anyway, I went, I went, I went long on this, and I don't think I'm going to get to jailbreak today, or not much of it. Um, Trump's meeting after bashing the Koch brothers and criticizing them on crime after every single endorsement. Notice his tweets. Tough on crime. He's good on crime. Crime, crime, crime. And I'm not making fun out of him. I'm saying that in a good way. He's the only one who's focusing on this important issue. He's focusing on the drugs and how drugs are the nexus of this, which we're going to talk about a lot more with Derek Maltz, our advisor on this issue, former uh, head of DEA's um, Special Operations Division. He's been having hours of conversations with me how – Avoiding prosecuting these people are preventing us from busting up terrorist networks. The K2 and spice epidemic. No one's talking about this. This is the next thing after fentanyl and carfentanyl and heroin. You now have people, 300 people dropped on the streets of D.C. Four of them died from this rat poison that's put in the synthetic marijuana. So even if you're super libertarian listening to the show and yeah, you don't care about the health, health or – cultural crime issues related to drugs, what you have to understand is it's not a drug issue anymore. It's a WMD chemical warfare issue. Even if you subscribe to the libertarian philosophy, just you know, legalize it. I guess when I say legalize, they don't just mean marijuana. They mean all of it, um, presumably. What, fentanyl? I mean, I, I, I don't know. But um, just understand that it's not going to solve it anymore because this is a national security problem. And yet they're retroactively going to let go firearms and drug traffickers. Not your low-level guys. Stop this already. I've debunked that a million times. 
every law enforcement agency came out against is I have uh, all their quotes in my article. But Grassley, Tim Scott, the same guy that because of his race hustling uh, downed Trump's Ninth Circuit nominee, he's also a big – he's motivated by disparate impact against blacks being imprisoned. What a fool. What a buffoon he is. Um, and unfortunately, Mike Lee, those three, there might be others in the meeting as we're talking at the White House to get him to get back in the graces of the Koch brothers because Jared freaking Kushner is destroying the movement and the conservative movement because they don't want to lose access to Trump or refusing to call out Jared and demand that Trump get rid of him. You're not helping the Trump agenda. You're not helping the MAGA agenda. And frankly, you're not helping Trump himself by keeping Jared Kushner there. You're not helping him by not pushing him into these fights and these messaging. Because you're going to lose the election anyway. So that's what's happening with that. I'm going to get to that more later. But just to close the loop, back on the agenda with judges. So there was another case. See, the Sanctuary City, you had the Puerto Rico stuff. You had the 3D gun printing. CAD files. Then there was another case. I'm going to link to this in show notes as well. I wrote about this in, I believe it was the fall of 2016, so it's been a while. Um, talking about election law. So again, anything the Democrats want to do on election law is in the Constitution, and they're using race and disparate impact. And, and I'm telling you, this is, the, the, this is part of why one of the 50 million reasons of my thesis that appointing better judges is not going to solve it because they've codified this stuff into civil rights, into the 14th Amendment. And what, part of what that does is it automatically puts it into federal court. So you don't go to state court where the judges are elected and you could throw them out. And you know, basically whether it's economic issues now, taking welfare, Medicaid – Minimum wage, taxes to court. They'll say it disparately hurts black people. Um, but elections um, – let me just make a note. I want to link to this as well. My colleague John Miller, if you don't know him, he's our CRTV White House correspondent. Um, he is really, really super talented. He put out a video today making fun out of the whole um, blacks are too stupid to vote without photo ID or to obtain one. And literally, the judges are saying this. Literally, the judges are saying, in its most literal sense, that blacks are too stupid. They need, in order to vote, they need five weeks of early voting. They need ballot harvesting of third-party groups to help collect their absentee ballots. Um, They can't obtain a photo ID. Um, somehow checking for proof of citizenship also hurts them as well. Um, what else? I'm, I'm forgetting a whole bunch of them. But there's there's another one. There's another case in Michigan. This um, Judge E. Ott, a magistrate judge in uh, in Michigan. No, I'm sorry. Am I reading this wrong? I'm trying to figure out which which judge this is here basically the uh, the um the Michigan legislature ruled 
that, where is this? I got the wrong article here. Unbelievable. I got to send this to my buddies here. Um, yeah, this has nothing to do with anything. I got to get a different link here. Um, I'm sorry about that, folks. But anyway, as I'm trying to find my article from 2016, let me just ring this up. So basically, it came into the uh, – let me just start from the beginning here. I'm all flustered. The Michigan legislature um, passed a law you know, defining their, uh, their lawful powers over ballots and the methods and procedures of elections to get rid of what they used to have there was straight ticket ballot options. Um, basically, um, where is this? Basically, I, you know, I, I don't know. I forget how many states they have this in. In my home state, they don't even have this. But evidently, in some states, in Michigan used to have this, an option where, you know, you could just render it straight party line. Just click a box, Republican, and it will just render everything down, ballot, ballot Republican or Democrat, and you're out of there. So, you know, I mean, the state has a very simple interest and it's very well within their powers to just not offer that. You know, and I think the rationale is, um, you know, at least make people think a little bit, you know, candidate by candidate rather than being a doorknob. And, you know, that 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 whether you agree with that or not, you, you can't deny they have that power under Article 1, Section 4. Um, certainly Congress has never taken that away from them. Um, it, it's the epitome of like an in the weeds, very technical parts of balloting that that is fully left to the states. Um, nothing in the federal constitution could prevent that. It's it's an anomaly in many states. Um, but but you know whether you agree or disagree, it's very clear it, it affects both sides evenly. You know you have, um, you know, in urban areas, obviously mainly blacks and other you know or immigrants and ethnic minorities. Vote predominantly Democrat, so a lot of them might use that option. Um, and you know, in a lot of white rural areas where they vote predominantly Republican, down ballot, don't look at the Democrat, never will vote for a Democrat, they'll do the same thing for the Republican thing. So this judge, um, it, it, it just, it just, just boggles the mind. Um, I, I just I, I can't even get to this. So, by the way, wh- why is it news today? Because when I wrote about it in 2016, it was a temporary tro, tr- temporary restraining order against it, and um, now they put a permanent injunction on it. It just happened today. I actually mentioned this on the call when John Miller was producing the video on photo ID and the court saying, you know. You can't do photo ID because it's because it's racist when they're the ones being racist. I said, actually, I have a better example for you, and I gave this case. And literally an hour later, a permanent injunction came out, even though this happened you know, almost two years ago. So um, this judge, Karen Moore, said, quote, the district court credited unrebutted evidence in the record demonstrating – that the ban, meaning on straight ticket voting, will increase the time that it takes to vote, particularly in black communities where straight party voting is prominent and where lines are often already long. The district court also found that the law was likely to increase voter confusion and miscast ballots. 
So, I mean, there's one thing if you say there's a right to con- the convenience of straight ticket voting and that would be bad enough, creating a constitutional right to that and getting involved and superseding jurisdiction and saying, you know, it affects everyone. But what the, what the court is saying, what Ju- Judge Karen Moore is saying is that blacks are too stupid and competent to even – Spend extra thirty seconds to fill out the things. And by the way, this is not. This doesn't mean no labels. That that was a separate thing. Some jurisdictions across the country were trying to, and I think a pretty good effort to remove party labels. You know, let people think for themselves. If you don't know, that's your problem, and try to actually vote on an educated way. I think that's something we should probably all be able to get together and shake hands on. Is a good idea. But they literally were saying, "No, oh, the blacks then don't know where the Democrat is." Courts were saying that. But here it's even worse. It, it has the Democrat and Republican affiliation ballot by ballot, just doesn't render it automatically for everyone. Um, and they're saying only among blacks they're going to be too stupid and it's going to create long lines because they're not going to know what they're doing and create voter confusion and miscast ballots. I mean, dude, that's like weapons-grade racism. That's like the type of stuff you would see written by you know courts or legislatures in, in the 1800s and, and pre-Civil War 1800s at that. At that. Um, that's what, what these clowns are doing. It is just it is just astounding. But I want to close the loop on the thesis of what I'm talking about. This is another example of a court telling a legislature, you must print up ballots with this option on it. I mean, what are they going to say next? You have to have color-coded symbol? And they, like, no, you don't have such power. It's not called not listening to a court if the legislature would decline to do that. It's absurd. And if we can't speak to that point as a movement, then we lost our country. Nothing matters until the courts are dealt with. Every day proves this point. Every day proves the point. So that's where we are. The budget fight and jailbreak. And um, and the courts. This is where we are. If we had a movement, we would get Trump on this, but we don't have a movement. We just sit and cheerlead with Mueller this and Mueller that and, oh, we're doing great on the elections this and we're elections that and we don't want to undermine the elections this and we have to make sure we win the elections so we can appoint better judges and uh, next time have a budget fight. And I mean – where is the blueprint to isolate and focus on the focal points that are destroying our republic, rectify them, properly message them, and win? Where's the blueprint? I'm asking for a friend. Thank you all for listening. God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.